Hi, and welcome to Resurrection Church, where Dr. Joseph G. Matera is the senior pastor and presiding bishop. We are committed to serving our community and the community abroad. We pray that the word you are about to hear will be a blessing to your life and that you allow the Holy Spirit to open your heart and receive what the Lord is speaking to you. Good morning, everybody. I'm excited to be here. Um, I'm here every week, but I'm excited to be here uh, bringing the word this morning. A little bit new. Um, Don't normally preach, so bear with me. Uh, But I'm excited. I'm actually feeling energized right now, which is crazy because I woke up at 6 (laughs) a.m. so that I could be prepared. And some of you are thinking, you have kids. That's nothing. You're up at 4 a.m. making their breakfast. But me, you know, the last time I woke up at 6 a.m. was when I was in high school, which was a little while ago. So I'm not used to it, but I'm ready and I'm feeling pumped. And that... (laughs) That, let me tell you, is through the grace of God because I am not a morning person. <laughs> so pray for me, guys. Pray for me. Um, but if you don't already know, we've been in a series called Homecoming the past couple of weeks going through the book of Joshua. So this morning we are on chapter 5. Um, but what it's looked like so far is that the Israelites are entering, they entered into their promised land. They crossed the Jordan River um, and now they're remembering the goodness of God. Um, and then the next question, though, is they've crossed the Jordan River. They're remembering the goodness of God. They're in their promised land, but what's next? What's their next step? They've, they've entered in the promised land. Um, so that's what we're going to look at today, because no matter what stage of life you're in, you're always going to be asking, what's the next step? It could be the next step in your health, the next step in a relationship that you're in, or the next step in your walk with God. What is the next step? So that's what we're going to be looking at today. Um, But to start, just want to go through a quick recap of Joshua chapter 4, which is what we went through last week. Um, So we're going to look at verse 19 to 24. The people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. And they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, What do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us when we passed over. So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So this is a historical moment for the people of God. They finally crossed over. They built a memorial to remember um, And now they're in that place where they're saying, if he did it once, he can do it again. That place of thankfulness to God, remembering what what he did for their ancestors and seeing them live that out again must have been amazing. Um, So now let's jump into chapter 5. So we start with verse 1. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. 
So we're seeing a pattern in this book. It says their hearts melted. The people around them saw what God did for the people of Israel, and they were shook. They were completely shook because they came to the realization that the Israelites were victorious. Why? Because they served a God who was victorious. And it meant to, what it meant to be God's people, they realized, was that you're under God's covering and you're under his blessing. And this was not a God that they wanted to be against because they realized that he cannot be defeated. And so not only was God's lordship and power recognized within his own people, but to the people that surrounded his people, that's how powerful it was because they knew that God was going to come through for them no matter how hard the people around them tried to challenge them, to hurt them, um, and to defeat them, they could not be defeated because their God could not be defeated. And that, that was a scary thought for people who are not following that God. Because <laughs> um, think about this. These are people who just 40 years ago, they were slaves in Egypt. And Egypt was the superpower of that day. And now you have two and a half million people miraculously crossing the Jordan River and stepping into a new land. There's going to be a holy fear because of what God is doing. And that's what was happening. There was a holy fear around people who were not holy because of what God was doing. And you can think about this again um, as a... As I was reading Psalms 97, I just thought about what it means, the character and the nature of God and how sovereign he is. Um, So I just want to go over Psalm 97 with you all. It says, The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord. Before the Lord of all the earth, the heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all the people see his glory. This is not a small God that we're talking about here. This is a God full of power and glory and splendor. And if you're somebody who's been openly opposed to a God with those characteristics... And then you see his people making these huge advancements, you're going to be scared. (laughs) Because if God is for us, then who can be against us, right? We've heard it, but now we're seeing it. And not for the first time. That's the thing. And now going into verse 2. Says, at that time the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeah Haraloth. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. 
For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. So what we're seeing here is the people left Egypt and they made a covenant with the Israelites. I mean, the, the Israelites made a covenant with God, excuse me. So the people who were leaving Egypt. And this covenant was sealed with a sign. So if you're wondering, why do I keep repeating the word circumcised? It's because this was a sign of the covenant. Just like when you get married, you seal it with a wedding ring. Or when you receive salvation, you seal it with baptism. That's what was happening here. That's why it was so important. Um, and, And now there's two things happening here. One is that we see that God is ushering in a new generation to carry out his mission um, and his will. So because of that, he needed to seal his covenant with this new wave of the younger generation by circumcising them, just as their fathers were. Um, And because God needed to do that, this reveals to us that we cannot build our faith upon our parents' faith. Because he needed to do that, he called a new generation, but that means that they themselves needed to make their own covenant with God just as their fathers did. Um, and their, their father's covenant did not account for theirs. They had to renew it in their own lives and seal it and then walk it out. Um, your faith is not passed down. It's a choice that only you can make with God. And I, for one, know that to be true um, because my, my parents, <laughs> they are, I was born and raised in this church, right? But I couldn't base my faith off of what they have done or what their faith was. I needed to make that conscious choice to fix my eyes on Jesus and start building my own faith. So we see here that the generation who was disobedient and unwilling to uh, follow God had to die off. So we see the next generation has to go further than the last. So it's important that as we disciple people, that we're teaching them the ways of the Lord and helping them learn from our mistakes as well. Um, And the circumcision was also meant to set God's people apart from the rest so that they were recognizable. And us as God's people, we don't necessarily need to do that anymore, but we need to be recognizable by sealing our faith, our covenant with Christ. God wants to work in you before he can work through you, as we see with that, with these people, with this new generation. And now the second thing that we see here is that for 40 years— They failed to keep up their end of the bargain. They were unfaithful. They were disobedient. Even after um, they saw what God was doing and would do, they still, they still didn't believe his promises, right? But 
God comes to them and he says, look what I've done to you, done for you. I've kept my end of the bargain. I've remained faithful even though you've been disobedient. Even though you've been defiant and hard-headed, I have not. I have still remained faithful. But before we go any further, you're going to need to make it right. You're going to need to repent. So they, they did this circumcision as a sign of repentance. Along with us sealing a covenant with God in our own lives, first comes repentance, right? Acknowledging that we as a people have not been faithful, but this is a sign for a new direction, right? Shifting our eyes on God. This was necessary for them to enter into the promises of God. He can only take them as far as their faith would allow them to go. That's why their fathers didn't get to because their faith held them back. They had to repent dedicate themselves, and then seal it with a sign. And repentance is something that we don't talk about that much as people in general, but it should be a part of our daily lives. In culture, we're not really talking about repentance. We're talking about preference and tolerance and ignorance and all these other terms, which are good terms, right? But they're not repentance. They're different. Um, because the Bible preaches repentance. And that word is hard for people to understand. It often has a negative connotation. People hear that. They get scared. They're like, what does that mean? But it's not a negative word at all. Repentance is an invitation to relationship with God. And the word is literally a Greek word that means change of direction or an about face. There's nothing negative about that. That actually is so inspiring that God offers us something that allows us to shift our focus when we feel that our life is not going in the right way and turn our eyes toward him and start a new life into his promises. That's not a negative word at all. Your life is heading in one direction. You're facing sin and uh, just darkness. And then you change, right? You're facing this way. You do an about face. Your back is towards sin, and you're face-to-face -face with God. When, you fa when you're face-to-face -face with someone, that's a friendship. That's a relationship because you don't turn your back toward people that you love. You look at them spot on in the face. But when you turn your back towards sin, it's a sign of repentance. And repentance is the way that we restore our relationship with God as well. And it's something that we should welcome every day. This should be something that we do daily because repentance is not just, repentance is not our, our entry into heaven, right? Repentance is how we restore ourselves when we acknowledge that we have not been faithful to God and we allow him to do the about face for us, right? But, and Martin Luther, he even said, the great reformer, he said, all of the Christian life is a life of repentance. Birds sing, fish swim, Christians repent. It's just what we do. But that doesn't mean that it's easy, that it's not going to hurt, because it's literally surgery, a circumcision of the heart 
that we allow God to do on us. It's cutting away of the things that prevent us from receiving God's promises, from receiving God's best life for us. And that can be hard, but everybody, no matter what stage of life that you're in, has things that we need God to cut away. Could be bad habits, could be not taking care of yourself, could be bad spending habits, you spend too much, you don't then you're not able to tithe afterwards. Could be poor time management, right? It could be toxic relationships. You're with somebody, they're not saved, and you think you're going to change them, right? No. It could be anything, but you got to cut that out of your life or allow God to cut it out of your life for you because if you don't, you're going to miss out on the future and the good things that God has for your life just as the other generation missed out on the promised land, you will miss out on the promises God has for your life if you don't fix your eyes on him. This, the new generation that we're seeing in Joshua, they were willing to repent. They were willing to make that about face, to shift their direction, and then that's why they got to enter into the promised land, right? They were willing and here's a simple way to think about it. If you're like, what do I need to cut out? What, what do I need to do, right? If it's not causing you to grow, it's got to go. Your future is far too important to waste on things that are bringing you further away from God. Life has so much more purpose than just having fun or doing whatever you want. If there's anything in your life that's preventing you from growing in your relationship with God, it's got to go. And I think you know what that is. You're going to know what it is. Now, verse 8 says, When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And I really love that part. It's so simple, but it brings us back to humanity because it says that they waited in the camp until they were healed. They needed to heal after after going through something traumatic. And God didn't expect them to just go through with this thing and then be on your way, get back to work, start, start, pick up where you left off. No, he allowed them to rest and heal. And God knows exactly what you need. And he's always gonna guide you accordingly. He knew they needed rest, so he gave them the rest to heal so that they could continue on their way right? He's not going to ask you something that you can't handle. Now going into verse 9, it says, and the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name that is, so the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. Boom. So Joshua, he obeyed the Lord. They crossed over the river into the promised land. And now the Lord must remove Egypt from their hearts, right? And their minds. Just as he's going to remove the things from our hearts and our lives that are not of him when we fix our eyes on Christ. He did it for them. They fixed their eyes on him and he removed the reproach of Egypt. Your identity... It's not in your sin. It's not in the things that you've done or labels. Um, it's 
in Christ. And for a long time, they probably saw their identity as slaves of Egypt, right? They were slaves for so long, so they, that's what they were known as. But he removed the reproach of Egypt from them. They were no longer seen as slaves of Egypt. That was not their identity. Their identity was in their Lord. When we become in Christ, our identity literally becomes in Christ. That's where we find our identity. And even Gilgal, where the place that it was named, represents rolling away. Guys, I can't say this word. You know what I mean. In the same way (laughs) that Jesus... (laughs) In the same way that Jesus rolled away the tomb of sin and death, again using this to foreshadow the ultimate victory that he was going to do for us from the reproach of sin and death, the reproach of Egypt, the reproach of sin and death, he rolled it away. It no longer has a hold. And it's so cool that in the Old Testament, everything points back to what Christ was going to do. And that just solidifies the validity of everything that he's already done. Now going into verse 10, while the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month and evening of the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain, and the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan during that year. So there's a couple things happening here. Overall, it's really beautiful because God is bringing them into their inheritance. um, And the nation comes to a place of repentance and consecration to the Lord. And for the first time in 40 years, they're seen as a new people in a new land able to enter into the new promises that God has, and now they're feasting with the community that God has built, right? But in addition to that, God is revealing something crazy here, because it says that they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain, and the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land, and there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan during that year. During that year, they ate what they had been given slash grown that year, right? The manna ceased. What was then seen as a gift from God was no longer what the Lord was using to bless them. It was something different according to the place that they were in and according to the year that they were in. They are replacing the old for the new in terms of how they are feasting and what they are feasting on. You cannot put new wine in old wineskins. It was no longer manna. God had something new for them. They ate of the produce of that land that they were in in that year. Eat of the produce of the land that God has placed you in, in the year that God has seasoned you in. Stop looking to reach for past blessings that God has given you and look ahead at what he wants to bless you with in this season. The manna ceased, right? It was great then, but God has something greater now because God will always outdo himself. 
This is a part of our spiritual formation, our process, right, as Christians. He doesn't want to do the normal or the same exact thing that he did before. He wants to do something new in you and in this church, and he wants to do it through us. Now going back into verse 13, it says, When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or are you our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. And so a few weeks ago, we, a few weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus recreated a moment for Peter's life in John 21. And here we see that God is recreating a moment for Joshua to draw closer to his calling, right? Moses, he was a great leader. He was a great prophet. He was a man of God. He wrote five books of the Bible, and yet he wasn't able to see or enter into the promised land. He wasn't the guy, right? Because the nation was unwilling to obey and follow and do what it takes. But here we see that Joshua is the guy for the job. And Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, but now they've made it. They're finally in the promised land and doing so before they land and conquer their enemies and experience the victory first. They've got to remember, repent, replace, and now recommit. That's what Joshua needed to do here. Way back in Exodus, when God first showed up to Moses in the burning bush, he said the same thing. Take off your shoes, for you are on holy ground. And that's the same thing that this man says as he stands before Joshua. So who's this guy, right? Joshua asks him, whose side are you on, theirs or ours? And he says, I'm the commander of the army of the Lord, and I have come. And then Joshua falls down and worships him because it's none other than the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ revealed in the Old Testament to him. So the same way that God showed up to Moses and now he shows up to Joshua He's with us here today saying the same thing. Who are you going to trust? Who are you going to be faithful to? Who are you going to worship? Is it going to be me? Joshua must recommit himself to following the Lord. The Israelites must recommit themselves to following God. As a church, we must recommit ourselves to following the Lord. And you, as an individual, you have to make that decision too. Who are you going to follow? Because no matter which way you swing it, you're following someone or something. Is it going to be God? You've got to recommit your heart and your life to God. Fix your eyes on Jesus. If you want to see what God does next, this is what you have to do now. You need to create a holy moment like God did for Joshua. He created a holy moment, right, for us to recommit ourselves to God. Take off your shoes. This is holy land. This is a holy moment right now. 
And that's a serious moment right now for you to make the decision to go deeper with me. Even if you already follow God, that's not enough. Let's go deeper and deeper and deeper for our whole lives. And we have to remember the goodness of the Lord in our prayers, right? We have to repent of our ways and be bold and courageous with our serving, right? We have to replace our worship with sacrificial giving of our lives. And we have to recommit to the Great Commission to make disciples and invite people to Jesus. At the very beginning of the sermon, we ask the question, what's next, right? You're walking in God's promises, but what's next for me? This is what's next. Recommit. Be bold in your prayers. Be bold in your giving. Be bold in your invite and sharing the gospel of Christ. Are you praying? Are you tithing? Are you in a life group? Are you a part of a serve team? Are you inviting people to church? Are you being bold in the way that you share the gospel? These are your what's next answers. If you're not doing those things, that's what's next. Stop asking. Start doing. That's how you're going to grow. You will not grow in your walk with God unless if you're first, remember, repent, replace, and recommit. That's how you're going to grow. So I'm just going to ask the worship team to come up. They're already up here. But I just want to invite you all. If something touched your heart here today and you want prayer on how to make these next steps, on how to recommit, on how to replace old habits with the new, anything, I'm going to invite you to the front and and ask our prayer team to come up to the front as well to be available for those who want prayer. Or if you haven't actually made that first step and you're not sure if you have Christ in your life or you know you don't have Christ in your life and you want him, I want to encourage you, come up to the front because this is not a joke. This is not, this is life and this is death and this is God and he is real. He is real. These are real moments with him. This is not just, this is not just an experience. This is not entertainment. This is worshiping. This is holy ground, right? This is worshiping our God. I want to invite you to come up to the front if you want to receive Christ in your life and make a decision to turn and make that about face and follow a God that will change your life forever for the good. If you're feeling like you don't know what's going on in your life and you're confused, don't be hesitant right now. This is your moment that God is calling you to come to the front and accept Christ in your life. So I want to just close this out in prayer right now and and continue to worship and encourage you all to come up. God, I just thank you, God, for these holy moments that you've given us. I thank you, God, for what you're doing in our lives, for how you call us, God, for how you reach out your hand, God, and help us, and how you give us those moments to heal and recover and make that about face to focus on you. I thank you, God, that you make yourself available, God, that your presence is available to us, God, at all times. And I pray, God, that you would just stir up the hearts of those who may not know you right now. Stir up the, whole, the hearts of us who do know you, but we need that push. God, I pray that you would just 
draw us closer to you, God. I pray that you would soften our hearts to be receptive to what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We pray that you were blessed by this word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at resurrectionchurchofny.com or give us a call at 718-436-0242 and be sure to follow us on Instagram at reschurchnyc. Take care and God bless.